Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show I talk to the stars of the new Netflix series One Day about turning the beloved novel into a TV series. We review the week's new movies including the wrestling tragedy The Iron Claw. Plus the makers of a fascinating short movie Two Mothers about an Irish mother and the Ukrainian surrogate she rescued from a war zone. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Gold Out, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. I hope you're doing well. And uh, in the latest round of listenership radio figures, we added 1,000 new listeners. So, you know, the small theatre of new listeners. Uh, so thank you all very much, whoever you are. And that's the third time in a row, which is lovely, you know. So, and, I, you know, I, I, I've said this to you before, but a lot of people seem to listen to this show on the radio on Saturdays when they're out getting takeaways on a Saturday evening. That's the feedback I get a lot, you know, out for chow mein or pizza or caught in a box or whatever, you know. So if you're on your way to get a takeaway, you know, I salute you for for tuning in. Now, if you're listening at home, glued to the radio or on podcast, I welcome you as well. But I do get a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, I listen in the car when I'm out getting a takeaway on a Saturday night. So I suppose I should encourage you not to eat unhealthily. But, you know, it would would diminish my listeners. So, you know, keep having your snack boxes and keep listening to screen time. Now, this week in TV, we saw the return of this. Have you noticed that when you take a picture, you don't look nearly as good as you do when you look in the mirror? Because the mirror is how you see yourself, and the photo is how you're seen. That's deep. The great Larry David, who is back with the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, season 12. It's coming to an end. There will be nine more episodes. The first episode saw him of the new series on Sky Atlantic or Sky Comedy. It's on the Sky Box. It's easily findable if you have a Sky package. I think it's actually on both Sky Atlantic and Sky Comedy. It seemed to be on every channel when I turned mine on. And... In this, the opening episode, he goes with Leon, his housemate, who you heard there, uh, to visit Aunt May in Georgia. He ends up wearing ridiculous glasses that don't suit him. He then, it's not a spoiler, it's curb your enthusiasm, he gets arrested for breaking democratic protocol by coming up to someone who's in line giving them water while they're about to go in and cast their vote. Classic curb your enthusiasm, it would seem, based on the first episode. Now, it feels like heresy to say it because I think it's, you know, possibly the greatest comedy series of the last 10, 20 years. But I, the, the episode was fine. It's lovely to have it back. I wasn't blown away by it. I was maybe hoping for a, a, a more of a howling, laughing episode of which there have been many over the years for his first one back in the final season. But I'm not criticising it. It is a yard ahead of most other comedies on TV. So I'm delighted that Curb Your Enthusiasm is back. We'll be watching religiously up until the final episode. I'm wondering, I'm really curious how he's going to wrap it all up. But if any man can wrap up the series, it is Larry David. Now also on TV, I was watching this. I love that sound. Do you? Black bears at dawn, yeah. Do you not? 
No. No, it makes me anxious. Like I've done something I'll regret. That's why I love it. Have you? Love a what? Done something that you'll regret? Dunno, yep. Ask me in the morning. Now, that was a clip from One Day, which tells the story of Emma Morley and Dexter Mayhew, who, on the 15th of July 1988, the night of their graduation, speak for the very first time and maybe do a little more or maybe not. You'll have to watch or indeed read the book because this is based on the very popular David Nichols novel, One Day, which I have read a long time ago. The next morning after they wake up, they go their separate ways. But where will they be on this one ordinary day the next year and the year after that and all the years that follow? And that's the premise of the book and indeed this TV series. Each episode finds Dexter and M, as he calls her, one year older on this particular date, the 15th of July every year. As they grow and change, move together, move apart, experience joy and heartbreak. It's a decade spanning love story as I say, based on the bestseller uh, by David Nichols, which was also a good movie starring Anne Hathaway. Now, this particular rendering of it, it's 12 episodes. It landed on Netflix on the 8th of February. That's Thursday of this week. Stars Ambika Maud, who's a comedian and an actress. She was in that series, This Is Going to Hurt, on the BBC, about those young doctors in the NHS. And then the guy playing Dexter is an actor who I think you'll recognise if you've seen The White Lotus Leo Woodall, he played Jack, the young tourist from Essex on holidays with his uncle, played by Tom Hollander. And they are both delightful in this. Uh, Dexter's kind of a cheeky chappy. Emma is very funny, maybe a bit more worldly wise from a different background. It's 12 episodes. I love the book. And I binge this over two nights, as you'll hear in my interview with Ambika Maud and Leo Woodall. Hi, John. Hi, John. Greetings from Dublin, Ireland. I've written down your name simply because I'm afraid I'm going to call you Emma and Dexter. And I usually pride myself on not doing that, but it's just you inhabit the characters so well. And Bika, if I can start with you, is it true that you were reluctant to take this on because you love the book so much? Yeah. Yeah, I turned the first tape down and then Rachel Sheridan, our casting director, kept on chasing and I kept on turning it down over like the course of a month. And then I realised what a fool I had been. And I sent in a tape at the 11th hour. And I gather that the release date, the 8th of February, in a very one-day motif is a significant date for you because your last big show, This Is Going To Hurt, also landed on the 8th of February. Did it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It came out on the 8th Feb as well. No way. When When I found out that one day was coming out on 8th Feb, I was just sort of like, everything's gonna be okay. There's too much meaning and symbolism. Oh. in that for it, things not to be okay so yeah. yeah the universe is telling you this is going to be okay yeah. yeah yeah and leo if all these places i read about things are to be believed which they clearly are from Ambika, your mother wanted you to do this is that right uh i want the shot yes yes yeah. she loved the book i don't um, mean this interview but <laughs> <laughs> she really did want, to, want me to do this interview though. um yeah she loved the book and when i told her that i had a tape for it she was very excited you know i was a big fan of the book and of of the the movie and now i am of the tv show having watched nearly all of it in its entirety about two nights and like you guys are together a lot obviously and you're a partner did you have to do a lot of 
pre-work on that to kind of establish the chemistry you clearly have? Or does that, it, you know, it's acting and that just comes about? Either of you can answer that one. Oh, we didn't really. We the, Honestly, there just wasn't time for us mm. to like really get to know each other or like discuss their relationship. So we just kind of had to feel it out as we filmed. Um, we played, I think... I, we did play some games on set. Yeah. I remember I, I we played um, uh, Botticelli. I won't play, I won't explain the rules because it will take all day. <laughs> but um, it was like a basically a name game. Yeah. And we did our like top three favorite chocolate things. bars and yeah. things and that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that, that sounds like a way to get through. One of the things I really like about it that it kind of emphasizes a bit, and you guys are younger than me, is the feeling of when you finish college that, you know, you could do anything nearly. And I kind of regret looking back at my own when I finished college. I didn't have that sense of it. But there's a gorgeous sense of the world is the oyster for these two people. Did that strike you, either of you, when you read the script? Because I was I was really taken by that when I was watching it last night. Mm. Well, I think a really significant aspect of the story is like the contrast between that wide-eyed ambition and naivety versus, you know, their much older selves and like the pain and the rejection and the failures that life unexpectedly hands you and how actually life never really turns out the way you expect and sort of like the juxtaposition of those two outlooks. And I think that's what's really significant about this novel and these characters and the journey that they go on. Because that's life. Yes. I'm good at that. Very well said. <laughs> and Leo, was there much globe hopping for it? Did you, you, I presume you went to Italy and soaked up the streets for those scenes. Yeah, we were, we were only um, in Italy for a few days, I think. It was around the time of my birthday as well. But no, we were kind of just, we were on set the whole time. So there wasn't mm. a lot of time to soak up Rome. No, I know. It's people like me who just think that. And Leo, is it true? I, I don't know why I don't believe anything I read, but experience has, has taught me that. And as you get older, you realize it as well. But in your family, a great, great, great grandmother was a silent movie star. <laughs> um, yeah, well, she she was um, she had her own theater in wow. New York off Broadway, the Maxine Elliott Theater. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Cool name, isn't it? And I, w I was also thinking, uh, you know, in this movie, you get by on your obvious good looks and charm, which you seem to have a bit of in person as well. And I was slightly mindful of a character. Well, the only other thing I've seen you in, uh, the White Lotus. There are kind of similarities between these guys, aren't they? Though they're, they're. I think this guy's nicer, but there's something similar in them that they're kind of white we might say wide boys who smile and the world <laughs> works for them wide boys yeah i've never wide heard boys. Wide boys before, a funny a funny turn of phrase um been made aware of a, a, of a golden retriever energy, sort yeah. of energy um oh, yeah it wasn't all deliberate but uh i guess they both kind of have a bit of that um bika for people who like me were thinking you know i've seen the movie i've read the book we don't need a TV series. Is there anything you might say in closing? Not that it's your job to sell this, but. Um, well, I would say if you really love the film, like the film's still there for you to enjoy. True. Like, like, there's definitely a world in which both of these, uh, you know, can exist side by side. Um, but I would just say, like, I think this is a, a very faithful adaptation to the book. If you love the book, hopefully you're going to see many of the elements that you loved in the book in the series. Because um, we just spend so much more time with it.
and um it's incredibly nostalgic the show i think and joyful and um it's a good easy comforting watch and uh yeah i don't think there's, a, there's nothing to lose <laughs> there isn't there isn't and i found it very watchable i have to say and watched it over two nights you know and i have three small children so kudos to you guys and wow. continued success <laughs> that's quite Thank a binge <laughs> yeah i tell you i tell you thanks a lot guys Thank you, Thank John. You. Lovely to meet you. And Bika Maud and Leo Wood all there talking to me about One Day, which is now on Netflix for your streaming pleasure. A delightful watch from start to finish, I have to say. I really, really enjoyed it. It's just uh, a lovely, I'm going to call it a rom-com. I mean, I don't want to give spoilers, but there's there's a will-they-won't-they they vibe to it. It's delightful viewing. It really is. You, you will enjoy it. It's not going to change your life but you will find it deeply satisfying romantic comedy. Not, it's not comedy, actually. It's only rom-com. There's elements of comedy in it, but it's it's delightfully romantic and sad at times. So that's one day on Netflix. Up next, the tragic story behind The Iron Claw and the other week's new cinema releases. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now we turn to the week's new cinema releases and chief among them is a wrestling movie which has a lot of tragedy in it called The Iron Claw. We'll also be talking briefly about Double Blind, a new Irish psychological thriller which we spoke to the director of last week, Ian Hunt Duffy and a movie from last week we didn't get to called Argyle, the new movie from Matthew Vaughan. To do the heavy lifting on all this is film critic and arts journalist Chris Wasser. Hello Chris. John, I'm well. How are you? Very well. I didn't ask you how you were, but you, you said you were no. well. So, you <laughs> I think know. I was expecting it. <laughs> Would you like me to? <laughs> uh, yeah, go for it, yeah. <laughs> You're keeping well, I trust. <laughs> I'm very well, yeah. Ready to do Excellent. some heavy lifting, as you say. Excellent. Good, good. You've been doing press-ups right before I called. So <laughs> listen, uh, is it Iron Claw or The Iron Claw? The Iron Claw. Uh, excellent. So I was reading about this because unfortunately I haven't seen it. And... You know, I think you were saying to me earlier, if this wasn't, you know, if this wasn't a real story, people would say this is too off the wall to be a movie. This story doesn't make any sense. So it's about a wrestling family, uh, a wrestling dynasty who are beset by tragedy. They are. um, And it does almost sound too far-fetched to be true. I mean, if you were watching a drama like this and it wasn't based on real events, you'd you'd consider switching it off, walking out, asking for your money back. Um, because the stuff that, the, the stuff that happens here, the, the tragedies that unfold are just unbelievable. Um, so we're talking about the Von Erich wrestling dynasty, um, among the most famous, you know, groups and among the most famous families in 1980s American sport and, and indeed in professional wrestling. And this family unit ever since the the sixties, going back to the father, Jack Fritz von Eric, uh, Fritz was his stage name. Um, they slowly over those few decades climbed the way to the top of the professional wrestling ladder. You know, in the, in the early 1980s, in 1984, one of the von Eric sons, there were six sons uh, in this family. One of the boys did something that his dad could never do, which was that he took home this National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Championship belt. Um, within 10 years, five of those six sons had actually died. We're talking about a story that, that's unbearably sad at times. And I mean, hardcore wrestling enthusiasts will know this story inside out. But going into it, I knew a little bit, but not so much that, you know, I was actually sitting there halfway through going, how 
how did this happen? Um, so I'll give you a little bit more background. We're talking right. about uh, a story. And just that- to clarify, Chris, this isn't wrestling like the Hulk Hogan WWF stuff. This is more professional, dare I say it. It is a bit more professional, but it does then get into the Hulk Hogan side of things where there is okay. a, a great deal of theatricality involved and, um, you know, uh, a lot of um, a lot of dressing up, a lot of flashiness. The bigger these lads get, the bigger the Von Erich boys got in their careers, they were kind of, you know, the WWF was there, but the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, was just slowly creeping up behind it. So there is a lot of silliness involved in, 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 in basically in professional wrestling, in inverted commas. Um, but this story begins in the 1970s in Sean Durkin's film, and we're introduced to Kevin Von Erich, who's played by just a tremendous Zac Efron. And he has worked all his life to get to this stage where he's just, it, there, he's just a, a big, there's just so much muscle on this man, John. So his father, Jack Fritz von Erich, played brilliantly by Holt McElhaney, he says, okay, so he is a retired wrestling champ. He wishes he'd done more with his time in the ring. He never, um, you know, he never won a world uh, championship belt of his own. And all of his kids, you know, there's, they're, they're, they're six of them, but they idolize their dad. And he kind of has his favorites as well. So he says that, you know, Kerry, played by Jeremy Allen White, he's off and hopefully he'll become an Olympic star one day. Kevin is his wrestling champ. David is coming up behind him. There's another kid then, Mike, uh, played by Stanley Simons, and he wants to be a musician. But we'll give you an idea of the the kind of the stronghold that this dad has in the family. If one of the boys says that they don't want to do something, or if one of the boys says that they, they want to do something other than wrestling, dad just won't allow it. So long story short, Kevin, that's Zac Efron's character, he fluffs his world title chances, so the dad switches attention to the next kid, and then the next, and then along the way, he kind of says, look, you guys should actually work together, kind of establish yourself as this family tag team. So they all come together, I mean, the Olympic comes home because of the US boycott of the the the, the, the 1984 Olympics, so Jeremy Allen White's Kerry comes home, they form this tag team, and they, they, they earn a bit of a name for themselves. And all the while, you also have um, Maura Tierney playing the mum, Doris, she doesn't want to be in in the family business you have the girlfriend pam uh, kevin's girlfriend played by lily james she asks questions like a very important question john what's real and what's fake in wrestling and i and i should say from the outset the film never properly answers that um i was a little bit confused at kevin's response about how you know fighters are basically the whole thing is set out that you know if you work hard enough if you put in the effort you're you'll, you'll earn a belt and, I'm, and I was sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't really know what that means. Like, is, is it not all scripted from the beginning? But however, uh, but Kevin also says that there's a so-called uh, family curse on the Von Erichs. And that ever since the dad took on his mother's name, that was Von Erich, as opposed to Agassin, with Adiskin, which was his dad's name, that they've been cursed. All Something has happened to all the men in their family. And the longer that this film goes on, you start off by thinking, def- these lads are not cursed. But the longer it goes on, the more story is told you realize that Kevin might be onto something. So let's just say, I said at the the beginning there that five out of six of the sons did die in the space of a decade. I won't say what exactly happens to them, but this is not so much a story about wrestling, but a story about a family that just kind of forgot to look after one another. In terms of the wrestling itself, though, is that well captured in the ring? I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, something like Mickey Rourke's The Wrestler, where you can literally see the blood and scars. It's brilliant. It is uh, beautifully staged, uh, brilliantly shot, uh, wonderfully performed. I mean, look at Jeremy Allen White, look at Harris Dickinson, and look at Zac Efron. Zac Efron in particular, these guys worked out. uh, They put everything into this role, and it wasn't going to be a case of hiring body doubles or, uh, you know, just using other performers for the wrestling shots. These guys had to be able to do everything. And Sean Durkin, the writer-director who made this film, 
he has not been obsessed with the Von Erich story, but it's it's uh, it's something he's been just interested in for a number of years because he was you know mad about um, National Wrestling Alliance wrestling and WWF when he was a kid, and the Von Erich tragedy was something that you know, like a lot of the wrestling fans, he was just struck by and thought, I want to know more about this. So he needed actors who could you know convey the drama successfully, but also become the Von Erich boys. And I think that I think everyone involved has done a great job here. The wrestling sequences are brilliant. The drama, this is where things get a little bit wobbly because it's it's so well acted, but I don't know how you tell I mean the second half of this film, John, it's just one harrowing instant after the other. It maybe gets a little bit untidy. It's still quite effective, but it's just like how it, it's almost as though Durkin's saying, how much can you take here? I mean for example, I, I mentioned six sons there. This film only has five in it. So one of the boys actually died when they were kids, and another, yeah. Chris Von Eric, um, he's not mentioned at all. And Sean Durkin has been doing the rounds pr- promoting this film, and he said that he left one of the brothers out because he thought that the film couldn't withstand one more tragedy. So that'll give you an idea. Are you torn about this, or, or does it come off despite the, all that tragedy? Because it's brilliantly acted, and the fight scenes sound pretty incredible. I think it does. Yeah, I think it does come off. I, I like all the best sports films. I think this one it doesn't necessarily require a huge interest or knowledge in you know in 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 the sport. Um, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much testosterone in this film, and it is it does have its fair share of you know brutal body slams and choke maneuvers and, and lots of different wrestling terms that I wasn't really that familiar with because I wasn't mad about wrestling when I was a kid. Um, but again, it's it's what happens outside the ring, um, and I think the performances help it along i mean the first act is brilliant and quite neat the second just because of you know one kind of accident and tragedy after another after another it just does get a little bit too heavy at times um but i thought jeremy allen white was just terrific uh and we should remind people of course he is carmy from the brilliant series the bear he is carmy from the brilliant series the bear and uh yeah i think his eyes are working overtime here because he's playing this tortured young athlete who's built himself up and is the best of what he does but he just can't communicate the thoughts and the struggles and the anxieties in his head. And I think Holt McCallany, who plays the dad, he's just exceptional because he's got a very tricky role where he has to play this, just this despicable fella who is just so toxic. He's convinced himself that his most powerful move is this thing called the Iron Claw, where he takes his hand, he puts it on the opponent's head, and he's taught all of his sons to do this, and he squeezes at their head. And that sounds painful, and I think that bit is actually real. Um, As in, that was was an actual real move that did hurt his opponents. He thinks that that's his most powerful move. It's not. It's that he pushes his sons too hard. He never yeah. listens to them, and he always makes them feel like they're never good enough. And that had a disastrous result on the family. Um, but I think actually the standout performer here is Zac Efron because he has gone out of his way over the last 10 years to try and make us forget about High School Musical. Yes. Some, of, some of us have. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, he was he was very good. Remember, he played um, Ted Bundy. Uh, the the film wasn't great, but he was very good in it. He's yeah, been taking, he's been taking on all this. Uh, you know, there, there was the Paper Boy as well. He's been doing these darker, more you know, he's in, in more intentionally adult roles geared towards. You have audience. to applaud his ambition. I find, and I did think he was he was great in that. Was it called Shockingly Wicked and Utterly Vile or something along those lines? Yeah, the, extremely the wicked one. or yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Um, but no, he's the star here. I thought his performance is quite soulful. Uh, it's transformative in more ways than one. I don't think he's ever been as good as he is here. And it is a little oh. sad to see this film just completely passed over by awards bodies. Okay, right. So this should have gotten Oscar nods. Okay, so so what are you going to say stars-wise? I think we'll go for four stars out of five. Um, it's wow. an extraordinary story. It's It's, you know, for... 
three quarters of it, it's it's very well told, brilliantly acted. The wrestling sequences are, are fantastic. Uh, it broke my heart, though. I mean, there will yeah. be an awful lot of tears in the cinema. Okay, okay. Well, with that, before he wells up any further, let's take a quick clip. I want to be with my family, you know, be with my brothers. Mm, that's sweet. What do you like to do with your brothers? Anything. I don't know. Just being together. We can do anything. Hmm. <laughs> what about you? Well, I want to be a vet. I want kids. I want my own practice. I want a man who's okay with that. Cool. So would you be okay with that? Oh, damn right I would. <laughs> we could be one of those modern super couples. <laughs> we could have our own ranch. Everyone could come live with us, all my brothers, their families. Okay. That's a clip there from the Iron Claw and you heard the aforementioned Zac Efron there with Lily James. Chris Wasser gave it an emotional four. It sounds pretty terrific to be honest. Now Chris, another movie that's out this week that I want to briefly mention, which you have seen as well, is Double Blind. We had the director Ian Hunt Duffy on the show last week. This is an Irish horror movie, a psychological thriller of sorts, about a drug trial that goes horrifically wrong where the drug in question means people can't fall asleep or they will die. I like this and thought it was a pretty impressive first feature from the aforementioned Ian Hunt Duffy, but I wanted to quickly see what you thought of it. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, I think it's it arms itself with a, a terrific concept. Um, this idea of a young woman who decides the best way to earn a few quid, she's got an awful lot of trouble going on in her life. She wants to earn a few quid, start over. She agrees to this experimental drug trial. Um, I love the fact that when she gets to this creepy facility, you have all of these weirdos and head of balls and all of these. And it, that it, the, the actual, the protagonist is English, but most of the characters around her are Irish. And I, I like the fact that you had these just Egypts around her from Dublin. Um, who, think, <laughs> who think that, you know, uh, enrolling in these experimental drug trials is the best way to earn money. That's not going to end well for these lads. Um, and yeah, and once we get into this idea of, this security breach that everyone is closed off in the outside world uh, for 24 hours. They haven't slept for a few days and then they, and then they're told that if they actually fall asleep, they die. That's a great idea because this whole thing where you can play then not just with the characters, but with the audience, because half the time, you know, especially when we're left alone with the characters, when they all kind of go into their own little isolation, you're kind of wondering from, from the beginning, what's real here and what's not because yeah. they've, they've been awake for a few days. So they're going to start hallucinating. And I think that is where, Derek McGarrigal, the screenwriter, and Ian Hunt Duffy, uh, the director, that's where they have the most fun with this. It gets it, it, get, it all gets a little bit silly towards the end, but for a good hour, I think this is I think this clock's around 80 odd minutes, something like that. Perfect length for a horror movie like this. Uh, but for a good hour there, it's quite moody, quite claustrophobic. You can feel the tiredness and the strain yes. <laughs> coming off the screen. Um, yeah. you know, and it's it's a weird thing to say that, you know, you might feel a little bit tired watching it, but I think that's intentional. Um so I think that there is enough here to unnerve to frighten audiences you might say that it's kind of one fantastic idea that's maybe stretched beyond breaking points um but i think the performances are solid um you know it looks uh, it looks creepy it is creepy there's enough here to suggest that ian hunt duffy and Derek mcgargle are going to do great things in the genre Okay, well said. And I particularly like what you say, because I actually said that to Ian last week, that at times you're not sure if this is a horror or not, if what they're seeing is supernatural or it's just the fact that they've been up three days. Good. Okay, well, we're in reasonable agreement. I did want to get your take on Double Blind, which is in cinemas from this Friday, the 8th of February. Now, quickly before you go, Chris, last week we didn't get around to it. Argyle, the new Matthew Vaughan vehicle, he's the man who gave us things like The Kingsman and Kick-Ass. 
quickly tell us what's going on and should we have reviewed it last week? Yeah, I mean, it's big enough. Um, and a lot of people are talking about it because a lot of people for a while... Well, I suppose I should have said, should we have gone to see it last week, which is a very <laughs> different question. Um, no. Um, <laughs> there's been an awful lot of buzz about this film because there was a conspiracy theory online and it stretched all the way into talk shows as well with the caster answering serious questions about this, whether or not Taylor Swift wrote the book on which the film is based. She didn't. Yeah. I don't know where that rumor started from, <laughs> but there is no book on which this film is based. There's a fictional book in the film, but fair play to the folks at Universal and Apple. They've decided to grab hold of this conspiracy theory and just run with it. It actually tells this story about a uh, socially awkward author played by Bryce Dallas Howard. Her name is Ellie Conway. She writes these hugely successful spy novels about a, a Bond-esque uh, a spy. His name is Argyle. And she doesn't know that her fictional stories, and we actually see her fictional stories play out in her imagination. And that's where Henry Cavill comes into it. That's where John Cena, that's where Dua Lipa plays out. Um, but that all that stuff is imaginary. Conway, though, is very real, but she doesn't know that her books actually mirror some troubling real life events. So then you have the head of this underground uh, uh, syndicate, uh, the you know, bad underground syndicate, Brian Cranston. He decides to intervene because she unintentionally is giving away all of his secrets. Uh, and then you also have a good guy spy uh, played by Sam Rockwell who tries to keep Conway alive after she realizes that the bad guys are after her. And for some reason, you have a CG cat in there. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a CG cat in a bag, John. It's very, very strange. Um, there are some great, great talent here. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Sam Rockwell, Bryce Dallas Howard. Love the two of them. Bryce Dallas Howard is tremendous in this. And it's so weird that the film is marketed... Uh, it, it's the film, the film you, by the film's marketing you think that Bryce Dallas Howard is a supporting player here she's not she's the lead and she is quite charming unfortunately the film around her is utterly charmless um, it's mm. all over the place it's quite ugly the CG doesn't look finished um, it's very very pleased with itself it's quite obnoxious and also it's just wildly convoluted not everything in a film like this needs to make sense but some things do and yeah. <laughs> just the constant rogue pulling like it's just it's just oh you you you've you've you know you're you're constantly get second guessing the plot because everything is just being twisted and torn it's all over the place john okay now sam rockwell is one of my favorite living actors i just think he's brilliant is he just a prisoner of the material in this and even his charm along with bryce dallas howard's can't rescue it I think um, himself and Bryce Dallas Howard, they deserve a better script. They deserve a better film. I would happily watch the two of them again. And there are times where I thought Rockwell is definitely going to turn this around. Um, so I'm going to leave those two performers aside. Uh, it's just, again, it's just the film around them. It's just so stupid. Um, and look, if a film feels the need to constantly explain the plot to you every five yes. minutes, then something has gone terribly wrong. But you know what else has gone terribly wrong? The characters in this film uh, that Sam Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard play, at one stage they mentioned that they had a favorite song years ago, that it was their song. And I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. And that song is The Beatles Now and Then. And The Beatles Now and Then, as you know, was released only a couple of months ago. Uh, and this film might have been in the can already. Did they go back and did they did they work that in? I mean, they, they could have just given the characters... Any other Beatles song that could have been their song. Um, I just found the whole thing quite cynical because I think there's actually a documentary out about that film at the moment. Maybe that's made by Apple because Apple were paying for this. It's just another stupid move and a very stupid film, I'm afraid. Yeah, that sounds horrific, to be honest. I really, I really don't like that ploy at all. Don't mess with the Beatles, man. Okay, so listen, Argyle, best avoided, it sounds like, despite some of the acting talent. So what would you say stars-wise? I think it's going to have to be two out of five. Uh, not quite 
as mean spirited, uh, not at all actually, as as Matthew as Matthew Vaughn's other films, Kingsman and Ka- and Kickass. But he's just <laughs> doing the same thing again. He kind of takes a couple of good ideas and he just completely smothers them in in a dozen bad ideas. So avoid. Yeah, I would ask you what you thought about Kickass generally, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> so that is two stars for Argyle, which is in cinemas from last week, but is still very much there. Chris Wasser gave it two stars, as I say. It has nothing to do with Taylor Swift, although Elvis is still very much alive. Chris, thank you very much. Cheers, John. Up next, a mother, a surrogate and the Ukrainian war. Now, the short film Two Mothers tells the story of a bond that compels an Irish mother to travel to war-torn Ukraine in order to bring her former surrogate and her family to safety. After losing a baby late in pregnancy, Kathy turned to surrogate Ivana in the Ukraine, or Ukraine, who safely carried her twins in 2019. The two mothers developed a huge bond, and when the war broke out in 2022, Kathy felt compelled to cross the border into what was a war zone and carry out the family of the woman who had carried hers. Knowing Ireland only recognised the birth mother-in-law, Cathy still chose to risk bringing Ivana and her three children to live with them together in their small cottage, that's Cathy and her husband, in rural Wicklow, and forge a life together as a blended family. The film's about connection and how we define family and ultimately the powerful ties of motherhood. The film is part of Netflix's documentary Talent Fund, which assisted filmmakers in creating documentary shorts on the theme of connection. The two filmmakers in question on Two Mothers are director Anna Rogers and producer Slata Filipovic. You can see Two Mothers on Netflix's YouTube channel Still Watching, and I'm delighted to be joined by Anna and Slata now. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? Very good. So my understanding is you guys were already making a kind of short film or a documentary about Kathy and her surrogacy journey. And then this added dimension came along when the war broke out and it turned into something else. Well, I was working on a series for Irish television back in 2018. Um, it went out in early in March 2020. So we were all preoccupied with COVID at that time. But it was a story mm-hmm. that was charting journey of a number of um, couples in Ireland who were going through the surrogacy experience. So that's how I originally met Cathy and we kept in touch. And she, as as kind of once, once their sort of surrogacy journey was over and they were back in Ireland with their twins, we continued keeping in contact. And when the war broke out in Ukraine, I reached out to Cathy as I had kind of been doing anyway, but just I was really concerned about if she had had news, how was Ivana, how was her family? And it was very quickly after that that Cathy just said, um, I'm actually just off. I'm going to go in. I've organized things. I've organized flights. I've organized people who are going to help bring Ivana towards the border with Romania. And I'm off to save her, to bring it, bring them out. Um, so I, um, we basically, I, I was talking at the time with Anna and we just said, this is an amazing moment. Kathy had become quite used to using um, her phone and kind of recording video diaries of um, things that were happening for her back from the previous series that we did. Um, so we just said all we knew at that time is that Kathy was going and she had a phone. So we said, keep filming, keep recording. And at that time, we also tried to organize things on this side to kind of secure some funding, which RT had helped us with at the time um, to try and capture more. But that kind of reached an end point at, um, at some point. So we had this footage from the moment 
when Kathy um, went over and came back and they had their first morning in the house, but we could not continue beyond that. Yes, and that's where Netflix stepped in, so to speak. And it's funny, Zlata, maybe it was a Freudian slip. You said Kathy went to save Ivana, and then you said went, went to collect her. But one of the most remarkable things in, in the 12 minutes uh, that tells a really long story in 12 minutes is the moment we see them meeting each other, yeah. you know, on the border or in this makeshift safe house. Uh, was that footage just filmed on on? Kathy's phone or how did that come about that moment that you were able to capture it yeah so Kathy I mean you know as we say fair play to her because you know in a moment of such incredible kind of stress and chaos and you can imagine how you'd be feeling like you know especially when you consider you know Kathy is and I don't I'm sure she won't mind me saying this like an ordinary woman from Wicklow or from Kilkenny originally <laughs> Uh, you know, they 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 have a farm with sheep. You know, it's not somebody that you think is going to jump at a, a plane. Now, I mean, I'm underselling Kathy because she's a spokesperson for Irish families through surrogacy and she's a real powerhouse, you know, of a woman. And and it's just incredible, though, because most of us talk about, you know, we'll give up a room, we'll do this, we'll do that. But we don't often do things on, on this kind of level. No. Um, and managed to to kind of stay calm in the moment, pass the phone to somebody to capture that moment when she found Ivana um, having run through, uh, you know, calling her name through kilometres of um, a kind of a refugee, makeshift refugee camp that was at the border. And it's such a beautiful moment, you know, because, you know, the the stress of it, the the concern for Ivana and her small children, Kathy had encouraged her to come to the border, um, and then you know there was all this risk. I mean, we were he- seeing things uh, on the news, you know, of people getting killed in that journey to try and get out of Ukraine at the time. So it's uh. really quite worrying, you know. And it is it's a beautiful moment that's in the film, as you say, it's twelve minutes though. So that's only the first few minutes of the film where we introduce the idea of. Kathy going over there to to get Ivana out. But of course, then the reality hit when they came back home, arrived into Dublin Airport and and a new sort of life began, you know. Yeah. Uh, Ivana's English, you know, wasn't, I suppose, very strong at the time. Um, It's improving now. But the children, of course, didn't speak any English. Um, And they arrive into this other country and move in with a family that they kind of only know from kind of Zoom chats. Mm. You know, Kathy and Keith would have stayed in touch and their little children, Ted and Elsie, would have made Zoom calls to Ivana because after the surrogacy journey ended, they they were very aware of her being their tummy mummy and they would have had chats with her on the phone. But suddenly now they're all living together in the same house, the kids playing with and fighting over the same toys. And uh, yeah, it's just an extraordinary, extraordinary situation. Yeah. And and your film, as you say, does largely detail what happens after that saving for want, or maybe it's the right phrase of Ivana. And so just to clarify then, but Kathy handed her phone to someone in that moment to film that. She did. Yeah, she just wow. uh, she just managed to find somebody who uh, everyone was very lucky, was able to keep a steady hand. And, and it is one of the most powerful moments. I mean, I've seen the film myself a million times at this stage, <laughs> but each time each time I see that moment, it really, really gets me because, you know, these women had been 
bound by one huge life experience and now they were finding themselves in another one and mm. um and there is such a kind of a bond and, and closeness and friendship and you know that idea of kind of saving you know what what Kathy herself says in the film is, you know, how could I ever explain to her that not only she kind of saved me and my family, she saved my life, you know, when the the surrogacy part um, of their story happened. So there's a kind of a, a saving at different times on different sides of the coin in, in, in different moments for both of them of each other. Yeah. That's such yeah. an important thing to say, you know, because I suppose, you know, we never really hear from the surrogacy side. And during the, the recent debates uh, over the law, of course, we we got that great opportunity to hear from women who had uh, been a surrogate for families. And Ivana herself uh, participated in those debates and went in and spoke at the Oireachtas Committee. Um, mm. But, you know, Ivana has played such a huge role in Cathy's life. You know, she she gave Cathy the opportunity, I suppose, to have her beautiful children, Ted and Elsie. And so there is a reciprocity to to what happened. You know, Cathy yeah. went and got her and carried her out. But, you know, uh, she carried her children and, you know, they've been kind of doing it for each other. So it, there's a there's an equality there. There's a love there. There's there's a really, really deep connection. And that's why when Netflix said, you know, the theme of connection it was the idea that came to to both of our minds immediately because it's the the greatest connection i've ever witnessed in all my years of filming people um and their relationships it's really it's it's hard to explain it's it's really a very uh, powerful thing that that goes on between the two of them it's a, a sisterhood i don't know what it is it's, it's well you know what you don't need to explain it because we'll urge people to go on to netflix's still watching youtube channel and watch and it's only going to take them 12 or 13 minutes and you will see people being saved all over the place in, in the right sense of the phrase and listen can can i ask then this is this is very much a movie and tv show but just so people are aware, in terms of surrogacy, as things stand in this fair Isle of Ireland at the moment, Cathy has very little legal standing in terms of being the mother of her children, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the way the law is at the moment. I suppose it, you know, it's at committee stage now. It's still still being debated. Um, you know, th there's a hope that the the legislation will be changed this year. Um, there's been a lot of work done for many years to to try and change that to provide some protection for the the mothers in these surrogacy situation. Um, the the intended mother, I suppose, intended parents, um, as they're referred uh, referred to, and give those protections to the children as well. Because as it stands in Ireland, Ivana is recognised as the birth mum, which is a right she doesn't herself wants and uh, want and wants to relinquish. You know, mm -hmm. um, and and Cathy doesn't have any legal protection. So that's yeah. the thing that's being, I suppose, teased out, debated, discussed, and um. You know, I suppose it was uh, that adds another layer of of how extraordinary it is, I suppose, that she invited Ivana into her home and that they shared their life together. Because, you know, as she says in the film, it's very confronting, you know, yeah. if, if you have that kind of uh, relationship and situation. And then, you know, that person's also living in your home together and you're together, you know, looking after each other's children. You know, it's uh, very unusual. And 
yeah we don't we don't have that legal recognition yet in Ireland yeah and you know we talk about blended families and and rightly so as far as I'm concerned in the modern world but by golly this is blended and then some it, it's fascinating <laughs> it really is tell me this finally and I, I don't know if you guys want to answer this or can but I, I mention a lot I'm a father of three myself and one of the many moments in the 12 minutes that got me and I want to be careful or I'll get choked up again was when they're talking to Ivana's children's dad back in Ukraine and he seems to be, you know, in a situation and says, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Is Ivana's husband still alive is the only way I can ask you that. Yeah, <clears throat> Valery is his name. He is still in Ukraine. He's um, back on the front line. He unfortunately was uh, quite badly wounded and has suffered some some serious injuries. Um, but he has, you know, somewhat recovered, and um, he's 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 back on the front lines. Okay, and Ivana is still very much living with Kathy and and the five children in Wicklow. Yeah, they've moved into a, an apartment in the in the nearby village, so they're not living under the same roof, but okay. they're still very much in regular contact and kind of seeing each other many times a week. I can imagine. People should go and watch this on Netflix. Still watching YouTube channel. It was part funded by the Netflix documentary Talent Fund, where filmmakers received money uh, on the theme of connection. And this is one of five other movies of a similar theme. This is a fantastic watch. And as I keep hammering home, it is only 13, just shy of 13 minutes. I've been talking to its director, Anna Rogers, and its producer, Slata Filipovic. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. And Two Mothers, the documentary, is on Netflix's YouTube channel called Still Watching. Now, if that's too complicated, I checked earlier. Simply put in Two Mothers documentary Netflix into YouTube and it will come up. All you need to know, because there is another movie called Two Mothers, but this is Two Mothers documentary on Netflix's streaming service. And that's all part of the Netflix documentary fun. And as was evident from what I was saying there, the 13 minutes of it is a, is a poignant watch. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the new 1,000 people who tuned in. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week, John underscore Farley is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. And I will talk to you all next week.